Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus. Bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone, online, and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet you win you get paid bet us week seven of college football is in the books hey everybody how are you doing it's dan matthews it's chris landry it's sec football and beyond and chris boy oh boy what are we going to talk about i don't think uh, very much happened this last weekend it was pretty uneventful and we didn't have golf balls thrown We didn't have mustard bottles. Oh, wait, that happened. We didn't have LSU run for almost 400 yards against Florida and give them their third loss of the season. Oh, wait, that happened. We didn't have Ed Ogeron show the door. That happened, too. And everything else that happened this week in the SEC and beyond because there were some interesting things that happened in other parts of college football that at the end of the show we will touch on just a little bit. Get at us on Twitter if you don't already. Get at Chris on Twitter. He is at Landry Football. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Dan Matthews ATL. Of course, the Twitch channel. We are always huge fans of those who jump in on the comments section. I know a lot of you have a lot of questions right now as we're getting to the time of the year where there is some coaching movement. There is also, too, at least some conjectures that some players might not be happy with their playing time. And if they got time left in college, they're probably going to be somewhere else next year with the way the transfer rules are now. So fire those away. Whatever you got college football related, trust me, that man right there, he can answer them. So please lay them on us either on Twitter or on the Twitch stream, twitch.tv at twitch.tv backslash Chris Landry football, not to confuse anybody. So just want to make sure we have that. Chris, real quick, as we get into the show today, a couple of news and notes that I wanted to start with. And one of them is something that you did on both the SEC football and beyond special that you recorded on Sunday. If you have if you have not had a chance to listen to that, Chris hopped on here on Twitch and also on podcast and talked about what he knew of LSU's decision to have the separation agreement with Ed Ogeron. He touched on that. And in Scout's Eye on College Football, which you recorded earlier, Chris, you expanded into more detail. All we know for certain right now, there's a lot of stories out there, but all we know for certain, Ed Ogeron's going to finish the season. And then he is out at the end of the season per his separation agreement. He will get his money from LSU. Yeah, and let me just answer a question that probably, you know, 20 people and we want anybody, everybody to ask questions that they want. But this is probably a question because it's been asked a lot. Well, and we discussed it today on the Chuck Oliver Show, uh, who people don't know, the uh, fine uh, 
brains behind that and the executive producer is Mr. Dan Matthews. Who will be hosting on Tuesday, by the way. Oh, and and check that out. Dan does a great job hosting. Um, Why is he continuing is what people are asking. I don't get it. If there are problems off the field, and there were, there are problems on the field, and there were. If he's not going to be the coach at the end of the year, why is he coaching now? Uh, Why don't you just, you know, cut ties like everyone seemingly does with this um you know uh that's the one thing too uh wait a minute if he got problems off the field why why don't they try to fire him with cause not have to pay the 17 million dollar buyout and they're valid questions um you know one um there's not a great situation going on with the staff and a in an ideal person to take the interim role. Two, Ed Orgeron would like to keep it. And due to the circumstances that are led to this dismissal, which is the performance on the field, which is always what it's about, but it's the problems and the issues off the field that bled into the on the field that made this a disaster. Okay, so why are they keeping them? Well, they're trying to make this as amicable as possible. Amicable as possible. There are multiple investigations, including a Title IX investigation going on at LSU. Keeping Ed engaged, basically saying in so many words, and certainly not in this patronizing way, of course, you play nice, you're going to get your $17 million. You don't step out of line, the non-disclosure agreement and everything, because a lot of the things, and you're going to hear a million stories about Ed, and some may be true, a lot may be not, salacious, what have you. But a lot of the things that can be corroborated, perhaps, would be embarrassing to Ed and would be embarrassing to LSU because he represents the university. He is the head coach there. So we'd, A, like to make sure that we kind of suppress that as much as we can, make it about Ed celebrating that, look, just two years ago, he was the head coach of the national champion, our native son. And we want to have, because you know this, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people are going to be remembering the Ed run of 2019. So we want to make it positive. We also want to make it uh, so that I, as the athletic director, Scott Woodard, is not in a bloody fight, the university is, in back and forth, that just makes you look bad in the coaching community. Full disclosure, I get involved in a lot of coaching search type work, and I get a lot – the coaches get nervous about, man, they're going after his money, and it's they, they don't know the whole story. They just are turned off by it. Scott Woodard knows that. Scott Woodard is from the political realm. He's from a PR realm. They looked at it and said, look, we could fight it. Do we have a case? Well, their attorneys might say, yeah, we might have it on this. We might have it on that. Are you going to haggle over that? You're going to basically come to a settlement anyway. The lawyers are going to get rich. And don't, Why not the, the theory, like it or not, agree with it or not, is we're going to make this amicable. We're going to celebrate him. He's going to finish out the season. And we'll move on, but it'll be positive, and they won't there'll be much less of a chance of something that would come out that would be embarrassing. And 
we don't want Ed to be cut loose to where the media is, you know, reaching for him and wanting quotes on this and that. And then it becomes bad through this whole search process. More of a distraction than it needs to be. Absolutely. So let's keep him engaged, keep him involved, keep him under contract where he can't do certain things and he gets it. Step out of line, you're risking a lot of money. You, you, you say anything, you're risking a lot of money. You, you, the company line, look, and he's done, well, I mean, he's done what he's done in his own private life that's becoming public in some cases and embarrassing, but he said, for the most part, the right thing. He was aware of this situation last week because he agreed to this last week. This was completed on Friday it was going to be announced. So people that will also say, well, why fire him after beating Florida? Because this wasn't done with anything to do with Florida. It was done inevitable. Dan and I have told you we've been here. And since the UCLA game, we've talked about it's only a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And the theory after the UCLA game, what happened in the locker room after the game, what happened in the game itself, um, there was pretty clear the the administration said, look, we're going to have to be prepared. That is going to be a probability that we're going to have to cut ties, not a possibility. So the plans were put into place after Auburn and definitely after Kentucky. That's when it was over. It was like over, over, done over. And then, then it became something that, all right, do we hold this until the end of the year? And then it comes out or do we just come clean and say it? And then, but if we come clean, you know, we don't want to run that risk. So the idea of, as I said, they'd like to wait to the end of the year and do things a certain way because it prevents the negativity. Well, the other alternative is, look, we'll do it. We'll announce it, but we're going to go kumbaya. I thought they were going to, you know, kiss at the press conference. They were so nice to one another. You know, it was the way it was. The other thing that, that that's been asked a bunch is, well, wait a minute. There's disingenuous because – um, Scott Woodard said this was strictly on the field and had nothing to do with it. Scott Woodard did not lie. He said the standards at LSU football was not good enough. And when Ed Orgeron was asked the question about did the off the field stuff, the Black Lives Matter march in which players did not invite you and did that lead to the problem? And and lead to to where we are today. And Scott Water practically, he had his own mic. He almost took Ed and his own to say it was strictly on the field. Folks, there are several investigations, including a Title IX investigation that I just said. They can't be caught saying that they fired him for anything off the field because that's mm-hmm. going to be brought up in court. So understand mm-hmm. context. If you understand that, you understand why certain things are done other than they just fired a guy that won the national championship two years ago. Yes, right. they did. There's a whole bunch of stuff that went on that you didn't know. Why is he coaching? I think you now know. Why are they not fighting to fire him with cause? I think now you know. You know, why do they sing it's strictly on the field? I think now you know. So that's the context of what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and that's that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things, too, where, you know, I think like many people who have been following this now, you're hearing a lot of the stories that are coming out. The fan interaction in Forshawn, uh, Fushan, excuse me, I got I to gotta say it right, not Forshawn. You don't, you don't pronounce that R. Got to make sure we got that right. 
But that uh, in uh, Fushan, um, I mean, the, the story about, I believe Chris was it before a Kentucky game this year where he got upset about something that went wrong with a hype video, threw a chair against a wall, staff members got into a fight, he's yelling at staff members. I mean, just stuff like that that honestly you don't want to hear about your head coach and regarding your head coach of a major program in college football who everybody is pointing to that is a proponent of this move. Well, he just won a national title. How about those who are, the, are, excuse me, the opponent of this move, the proponents of this move, I think should say, well, yeah, he just won a national title. It shouldn't look like this after you win a national title. Maybe a 10 and two, maybe a nine and three, but not five and five and possibly even trying to get to six wins to make a bowl game and everything else that goes around it with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's time to move on. The other part of it as well, all the names are being thrown out here, Chris. I just want to put uh, a, a bow on this one before we move on to what happened at Neyland Stadium. And that is, I'm hearing a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people who are interested in this search are hearing, the president of the university wants to be very involved in this. Are you hearing the same thing? And if so, what does that entail? Um, William Tate is the new president. He's the first African-American president in LSU history. Met him. Um, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks after he was officially announced, sometimes this summer. Um, I'll say this. um, So I was at – just just to let everybody know behind the scenes, so Dan Matthews sent me a text yesterday. Hey, you know, um, might be a good idea to do a special podcast. And, um, of course, normally Sundays are very, very busy, and they're always busy in football season, NFL season. Um, I'm sure most of you know that we had a, a London game again. So the game started at 8 a.m. my time. Um, I get called over to LSU. So I'm going over to LSU ops and actually stop first. Um, Scott Woodard uh, in the administration building. And um, William Tate was there, which is was a little bit unusual. I thought. So I actually got to spend about 15 minutes. He was there. I, I do think he wants to be involved. Uh, well, he definitely will be involved. He's the president. He, um, I don't know. I can't tell you based on the conversation, Dan, whether he's going to make the call or, you know, I think, I think Landry says, I think not Landry said, definitely. Landry it's your thinks, opinion. I think it's just my sense. I don't know. So my sense is that Scott will, do the work and make the recommendation. And Scott has a way of engaging people. It's the strength that he has. So he will certainly take William Tate's um, thoughts and ideas and directives. And there's going to be a lot of things that, that may be in involvement. It does not mean, I do not think that it means that he's going to override Scott. I think, um, I, I could be wrong, but I don't see that being the case. Um, and I, again, I think that uh, it could be something to where if they're really close on a couple of folks, maybe it, you know, it may make more of a difference than I just don't see the president forcing somebody that Scott Water doesn't believe in. I just, there's, look, you got to remember their board of supervisors here too. So Scott has a way of polishing it, getting, 
his new president to think about things. And if he needs some assistance, he can get maybe some board of supervisors who basically are the bosses of the president and say, look, I get it, but I think this. So let's just let that play out. But I do think he's involved. Um, I will say this about the search. Uh, I don't know, uh, honestly, uh, full disclosure. Again, I mentioned this. I think I mentioned this. I, I may have mentioned on the podcast yesterday. So a lot of what I do is just evaluating of coaches. Sometimes you get into talking with coaches and searches. You know, so it's not about what I would do. It's going to be about what they're going to do. And if there's further information needed, I'm there. But but the, the reality of it, my experience with Scott um, is that if you hear names leaked based upon history, and it could be different, based upon history, you can scratch those people off the list. Because if mm. the name is getting leaked, it in the past has been nothing but smoke screens in any of his hires, in any search, not just football, but baseball and basketball and anything he's been everywhere he's been. Um, yeah, I, I, I can I can concur with that on the baseball hire because yeah. Jay Johnson, at least at the beginning, was not mentioned in any of the names. It was uh, it was uh, the uh, coach at at uh, Tennessee, and it was also too the one that I heard was done was Kevin O'Sullivan, and both of those ended up. <clears throat> but go ahead. And, and and a lot of the Kevin O'Sullivan was maybe legs to it, but he has some. And I'm look, I I don't want to. There's a reported and verifiable off-the-field incident that doesn't play well. I don't think with their situation that this is going to be a clean hire. I don't think it's going to be anybody that has any sort of baggage at all. And that is what I'm told was the reason why Kevin O'Sullivan was out of the mix there. In fact, Mm -hmm. it was the reason why the guy, and I forget his name, at Oregon State was a guy that Scott knew and liked a lot, the baseball coach. And that – was the kibosh was put on that because you remember he was the guy that had the pitcher who he played in the World Series that was accused of 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 sexual assault of a young girl and he you know backed this player and that was enough to that mm-hmm. kind of blew up. Now I don't know if that they were going to hire those guys, but I can tell you this: Scott blew it up there and he let the rumors about Mike Bianco being the guy, he let that, he let that blow up and all the media went with it. So a lot of the same people that are saying, I think it's going to be this guy. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. I I think there's certainly some names being leaked, but remember this, the leaks not going to come from Woodard. And if it comes from the LSU administration, it's either somebody not associated with the search that is trying to be a big shot to the media or it's somebody that they're trying to leak. I gotcha. do wonder if the floating of Mel Tucker's name mm-hmm. is not coming from the president's camp to see how that is perceived. Gotcha. I don't yeah. know that. That's speculation on Landry's part. I don't know. But uh, usually what happens is uh, Scott is doing it behind the scene. And everybody's going down one path where all the smoke is and Scott has something else because he likes to do it quietly. Look, he's been dealing with agents and it's it's three or four agents that got all the people. So that's kind of where it is. And 
Look, I'll do the best I can, and I'll be as honest as I can with anybody that wants to ask questions. If if I find out who it's going to be, and I'm let in, and I, I should not be, and 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 won't be, but if I, I was, then I couldn't say it. I, yeah. I would be risking, you know, the work that I do. So I can speculate. I can say what I think might be a fit for Scott or not, or what I think about a candidate. And it, it may or may not be what they're going to do or not going to do that in yeah. time is going to tell. That's going to be something that Dan will be dealing with on this show for weeks and weeks, because I trust me, this is going to take a while to get done. We're a long way left to go in the season. Well, we will uh, be keeping up with what is happening. And just a couple of things to what you just mentioned right there. It reminds me so much of uh, those of you who've been following me know that I've been on Braves postseason coverage. It reminds me so much of the Braves president of baseball operations, general manager, Alex Anthopoulos, who straight up told the media when he had them in a off the record scrum said, do not come to me for off the record stuff. I'm not going to give it to you. Anything you hear is not coming from us that anything that I know or that we know is in such a tight, small circle that it is not going to be leaked out. That's number one. And most really good leaders in these positions do it that way because they know the more people you allow in, the more chances it is to be able to get to a reporter or get to a message board or get to wherever that it completely messes up your process. That's number one. The other part of it as well is you mentioned names already being mentioned. Agents, agents, people, agents. What are agents also trying to do? Hey, Dave Aranda, you're having a really nice year there at Baylor. I'm sure Drayton McLean and everybody here at Baylor would write a really nice check to keep you around here because they lost a really good coach to the NFL. They lost a coach who was a little bit scummy, but still had the program playing in at the time BCS and then New Year's Six Bowl games. So they've had success there. They want to keep somebody there around that can be able to keep said success around. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. I'm sure whoever his representation is, they're trying to work on a way to get him paid more. Already a preemptive strike at Texas A&M. We saw the same thing with Jimbo Fisher, but that being said, he's still having to answer the money, uh, the uh, answers about the buyout. And then on Monday when he addressed the media, Chris, he said, no, I'm right where I want to be. This is the place for me. This is where I need to be. And I just, once he signed that deal, I did not truly believe that he was going to leave $90 million on the table in the chance to go and maybe make $10 million more. Who knows? Maybe he would, but still just did not see that. So we'll you, see. You, you know what, of- Dan? You know what, Dan? One other thing real quick so we can move on. Sure. But, but sure, you sure, brought sure. up something that's really, really intriguing. And this is something that people do because, you know, you talk about the Braves executive, but this is something that um, is kind of the new thing to try to uh, – if you feel you might have leaks in the organization, college NFL – a lot of what is done is you can determine who your leak is by sharing. Yeah. What do you think this? And then all of a sudden, if the word comes out that it is candidate Dan Matthews, well, I know I shared that with so-and-so, so so I know where the leak is. Um, I do know, I do know that Scott did that with the baseball stuff. And he found out that it came from the Skip Burtman camp. Now, Skip mm. Burtman is not involved with the university, but Skip yeah, Burtman he, is it. But Skip yeah. Burtman was very yeah, much. Yeah, 
His yeah. guy and and but he kind of used the leak in the house that went to and then Skip was trying to sell this and trying to get a lot of the ex players to put pressure to do that. But mission accomplished there. Um I, I just so just keep that in mind. It 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 how many every job opening, there are forty candidates listed and it's the same people. Well, mm-hmm. For goodness sakes, I mean, it's you, you, you. Why don't you add add another twenty if you've listed every other every coach in the country? It's got to be one of them. So, I I think that everyone wants to know. Relax when there's something substantive that makes some sense that I feel comfortable with or whatever. Then we'll get into it. Uh, we can yeah. speculate and answer questions. I can do that. Uh, but you know people who are thinking that it is this is done that's done you know um look so somebody leaked to bruce feldman that mel tucker is a serious candidate it's either legitimate or not it's either a leak to try to find something or it's a leak to try to see how that's going to be played in the lsu community and what type of feedback they get because let's just call it what it is it is a unique situation you've never been a black head football coach at lsu and this is something that um you know is is being thrown up and and um anyway we 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 shall and and mel has a history with lsu he's an assistant nick saban's hired him three times so Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway so that's that yeah, well, I mean, look, you could do a lot worse. I mean, he is off to a great start at Michigan State when it looked like they were going to have their own troubles of their own and have a tough time being able to bounce back from that. And he's seemingly, Chris, up there in East Lansing, been able to stabilize things, got off to a good start at Colorado as well. And you're exactly right. He is coached with and learned from some of the best. I mean, he has NFL ties, Nick Saban, numerous stops with him, Kirby Smart, very Georgia, highly relied upon Georgia. They're they're at Georgia, so you could definitely do a lot worse. There's no doubt about that. So, yes, we will be seeing this play through. Yes, I would probably have to guess, Chris, let's set the over under the Sunday after the regular season wraps up and LSU has played their final game either. I can't remember if it's a a Friday this year or a Thursday or even a Saturday against Texas A&M. It doesn't matter. The following day, I would be very shocked and surprised if we're not getting at least the announcement, and then a couple of days later, a press conference on campus. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, certainly that's the time frame. Is it going to be done in that time? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'll have a better feel for it as we get closer to that. Uh, but yeah, it's possible. Uh, I would probably be a little bit more comfortable saying. Uh, uh, another week out from that and, and, and feel a little bit more comfortable rather than the day after, but, but it's, it's very possible. All right, let's move on really quick before we get into the games. And that is Tennessee. Boy, did they embarrass themselves? At least their fan base, Chris, this is a fan base that I don't think I'm casting aspersions at times has had their ugly moments. I mean, you interact on Twitter. Sometimes the interactions get ugly. And then you see what happens on Saturday night, a call at the end of the game, which going back and looking at it, I don't think was very disputable that he was short of the first down. So of course the delay in that, and then the most embarrassing part of all where you had to have Tennessee band members and cheerleaders retreating themselves because they didn't want to get hit with obstacles. Lane Kiffin, at least on camera, it looked like a hit by a golf ball. 
Then he said in the interview with Cole Kubelik, I'm relieved that I didn't get hit with this golf ball that somebody threw at me. And then somebody throwing a water bottle as he's getting his police escort off the field. But uh, the SEC doing what they need to do, $250,000 fine for their fan conduct against Ole Miss. Also, too, the other part of this that I'm loving to hear because get these idiots out and give them a lifetime ban. Do not ever let them come back to Neyland Stadium. Police on video are starting to ID and arrest people that they saw throwing things. Yeah, it's disappointing. Uh, it's an ugly look. Um, my understanding, just to give you an idea how it looks bad, um, when you've got national news like the Today Show that's non-sports related covering this, it's like covering something out of a third world country and look at these idiots, you know, out from somewhere doing this. Is that how you want to be presented? Um, look, uh, you don't agree with the call. You, you, you got such vitriolic hate towards the opposing head coach that left you that I, I, I get that. I don't think anybody wanted to win a game more sure. than the opponents in that game. Tennessee beating Kiffin and Kiffin beating Tennessee. Of all the games that everybody wants to win at the highest level, I, no one wanted it more than in that game. That's that's yeah. I'm comfortable saying that. But, you know, you've got to have <clears throat> control, and I think that um, it's very difficult to police that many people. But I thought it was interesting how the commissioner said, look, you're going to have to upgrade if you're not able to do it your security cameras where you've got to police this, you've got to control this you've, as best you can. You've got to ID these folks. You've got to take away their season tickets. You've got to put things in place and at least get people to think uh, before yeah. they bring a golf ball to a game, because I'm yeah. sure I'm sure he didn't come off the practice range and went to the game. He came in with uh, some ideas yeah, that, shot. you know what, at some point I'm going to, I'm going to, throw this at somebody that used to be our head coach here. Um, I think those things are very, very unfortunate. I want to say something just an overall. I love our fans. I, I love what we do interacting with them. I love our fans that join us in the chat. I love our fans that watch and listen to us. It's, it's, it, 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 it's just absolutely the, uh, uh, something that I've embraced a great deal. The one thing I concern, I get concerned about is the world we live in today with the social media that everybody can have a source. Everybody can do this. There's no accountability. There's a belief that we don't like that. We're going to do this and we're going to uprise and we're going to just, we're going to just do whatever. And we've got as a fan, you have limitations. You are not the game. You are a part of the observance of the game, the support of the game. You have an integral part in the financial uh, wherewithal of programs being successful. You don't belong on the field or on the court. You really don't. I don't, in essence, have a problem with rushing the field in exuberance. It's it's become kind of funny in, in, in a way, but the reality is you it's, it's maybe one way to kind of get there. Clemson has a thing. If people don't know after every home game, you can walk on the field and you just mm -hmm. congregate. That's not a rushing the field. It's, it's, it's a thing. And okay. It's a thing. I don't want to stamp on traditions, but right. I think these are the things that have 
an issue that have a problem that leads to things that you just can put people in a lot of danger and you, you, you got to have accountability, cheer, root, boo, whatever. But when you start to throw things on the field, it's a real problem. I, I see it in baseball games. I see it in other places. Mm-hmm. It's just really, uh, it's wrong. And I, and I, my concern is that people actually think it's okay to do that. Some people, they think, look, I have a right. I bought my ticket. I can throw a whatever. Something's wrong. I pay your salary. Yeah, I think that is, we've let people, you know, my dad used to have a saying, God rest his soul, used to say when people start to get too big for their britches. I think Mm. we've allowed it to get to where you're too involved and that's not where you need to be and. I think it becomes dangerous. And now we got a problem where we got to fix it. Just don't think it's right. I don't think it's right. And I don't think it's fair for the, I don't know how many, Dan, I don't know how many people that were the idiots at Tennessee. It certainly wasn't the majority And those, that fan base gets a bad look and they already have a negative look that people are looking to pound on through the, social media mob yeah. of, but you know, mm-hmm. and so now this just adds to it. So now you got the, oh, the national media is bad on, and they're very defensive and they feel it's us against the world and it shouldn't be that way. And it's, it's just, it's enough, you yeah. know, focus on why people may have that opinion of you and correct yourself. And yet I think if you did that, you're going to always have the idiots that will, will come down on you and call you things and make, you know, social profiles of Southern people. And you're yeah. going to have that just, you know, deal with that. You're dealing with that, with the Braves. And of course the guy in LA is the very well-known idiot sports writer. I will I say that. I don't uh, get in there. Had, Bill, Bill Plasky yeah, is the guy that's. Oh, oh the, that's, that's, that's the guy's name. Okay. Yeah. Bill Plasky yeah. is the guy that's well-known yeah. for baiting, uh, you know, he's, he will go to a press. He told uh, Jim Moore one time, he says, well, you, when he was a coach at UCLA, you, um, and this was Oregon's really good. It, he, I, I bet you there's no way you really want to win that game because you don't want to have to play them again. He didn't ask the question. He looked at him and says, oh, come on. You, I mean, he is really a – a um yeah. a really a bad guy but you're gonna have those people and call those out but don't give them a reason to think you're a bumbling hillbilly idiot that you know because that's really not who you are but you know what when you do that you give that perception of that's who you are and look i've been well, a part of it myself i've had yeah. i've had I, I told you before i was hit by a beer bottle at lsu as an l I've never coached at LSU as a road team. I've always been there as a staff, and I was hit. That's dangerous. That is difficult. That is over the top. Got to stop that. Really do. Well, I I think there's a lot of different things that you just pointed out right there is that you're exactly right because to me – and, and I kind of did it. And let me kind of backtrack on it a little bit is my biggest pet peeve is when people paint with a broad brush and just yeah. do that because it's easy to do that. And there's very little pushback on it. And honestly, it's a cowardly and spineless thing to do. Be specific in what you're talking about. I do think that there is a faction 
of the fan base that can be ugly. I don't think that it is the entire Tennessee fan base. Is that fair to say? I believe it is. Yeah. But it's also, though, too, for the ones who aren't that, you see this? It's like what Sam Weish said on yes. the field. Point him out. out. <laughs> get him the hell out of here. You, you, you're not a Tennessee fan. Go to Kentucky if you're going to do that. I mean, stuff like that, because that's what I think needed to be done with this is much mm-hmm. more than $250,000. You know, the SEC can do that, and I guess they have to look at their alcohol policy as well. But I think that this needs to be preemptive from Danny White that in some ways people will say, well, don't treat me like that. I'm an adult. Let me have my freedoms. Let me do all this. Don't throw mustard bottles on the field. Don't throw full water bottles on the field. Don't throw a golf ball or bring a golf ball to a game and throw it on the field. Then we'll treat you like adults and we'll have beer served until the third quarter. And and we'll, we'll be able to have you be able to have a good time at this game. But let's be honest here. There are certain people who ate it by alcohol. And also, too, let's just be honest here, Chris, the exposure of the sport now, we love it. We benefit from it. I'm not stupid enough to say that we're not benefiting from people watching this and sharing this and, 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 and listening to us at every situation they have. But I think that the double-edged sword that can come with that with social media is the mistake of familiarity, is the mistake of you thinking – hey, I know Hendon Hooker. I can talk to Hendon Hooker any way I want to because he retweeted me one time or he liked my Instagram post. Yeah. You don't know Hendon you don't, you don't right. Hooker. That's right. He doesn't know you. And if you walked up to Hendon Hooker and told him he sucked, he'd probably tell you to get out of his face, and he should. So I think that that's another part of it as well is the good and the bad that's come with the exposure of the game. It's situations like this. And I- I'm with you. I mean, I think we heard Nick Saban, if I'm not mistaken, on Monday, Chris, talk about how – he got a pretty nice little bruise coming off the field at AM. Now I get it. I don't think anybody said, hey, I'm going to go try to hurt Nick Saban. I think maybe somebody excited bumped him, bumped by him as, as he was running off the field with his police, uh, with his police escort getting him off the field. But I do I, I do shudder to think a little bit, Chris, that a situation like this, a hostile environment, a team that hasn't beaten another team in years and the, the booze has been flowing all day, and it's a night game, a game-winning field goal. Everybody runs out onto the field. Who's to say that some moron doesn't get beer muscles and try to go to an opposing player or an Ooh. opposing coach and try to throw a punch or try to do something like that and try to be a hero for the cameras on TikTok and everywhere else? I, I just, I'm afraid that that could happen, and that's why it's so important in situations like this to completely nip it in the bud immediately. And that's why I say if you're Danny White, Find these people, ban them for life. Make sure it's well known that the Tennessee fan base, this crap ain't going to be tolerated, and we're not going to have it here. And I'll tell you what, tell them if it happens again, we're playing the rest of our games with an empty stadium for the rest of the year. You might not like it. We'll take it in the shorts financially, but that's what's going to happen if this happens again. Yeah, and I, I think that, that you probably yeah take yeah, a home you, take a home game away from them or something you, you, you make them play you, a road you know you, whatever you would you would have people very okay hey hey but whatever you do I, yeah I, I i don't want to be the guy that messes with my team so look i i think that all of those things need to be coming in play but just an awful awful look for the few idiots that threw things on the field the other night that's not the way to go about your business all right uh, let's get into the, uh, to the games because uh, those news and notes uh, went uh, a lot longer than i thought they would do so chris we'll uh be a little faster than usual on the mm-hmm. games, but uh, let's start first with top-ranked Georgia 
Heading into the bye on a high. Able to get a win, 30-13 to 13 over Kentucky. Stetson Bennett, 14 of 20, 250 yards, three touchdowns. He continues to impress. Speaking of continuing to impress, they throw to the tight end now at Georgia. Have you heard the rumor, Chris? Because freshman Brock Bowers has been unreal. Five catches, 101 yards, a couple of touchdowns, had one called back, which eventually they did score. So it, that did factor into the uh, touchdowns. But let's talk about this defense, too, as well, before I kick it back to you. How about these Deep. numbers? Go ahead. <clears throat> Three sacks, eight tackles for a loss. Kentucky can run the football. You heard that rumor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 51 rushing yards. Just 51. Chris. You want to try to run the football against Georgia? You want to try to run the, the football against Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, N'Kobe Dean, that defense that's in that front seven? Good luck. Yeah, it look, I mean, if you want to look at the matchup, when Kentucky had the ball, they averaged 3.6 yards a play. When Georgia had the ball, they averaged 8.8 yards per play. Um, it was an expected dominant performance by Georgia's defense. I think we discussed that Kentucky would have some issues getting some big plays against this Georgia defense because I think that Kentucky's a little limited in that regard. It was dominant. But let's look briefly at the offense. Eight and a half, 8.8 yards of play. Six plays of 28, 20 yards or more on just 21 dropbacks. The run game had three plays of 20 yards or more against a Wildcat defense that it just allowed 12 in the first six games of 20. I mean, just, you know, so you're talking about a pretty good defense that this Georgia offense went up against and they're playing very well. There's no question about it right now. They have cemented themselves as the, you know, the best team in the country. They look like the best team in the country on that. I'll, I will mention this though. I, I will say I do my I've got enough film work in my mm-hmm. film grade grading of the play. I'm not saying where voters should vote them or whatever. That's just from the film room. Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Yeah, it's a lot about talent. Now Ohio State didn't play this past week, but just getting caught up on film. That's the, the that's and then ahead of Cincinnati, by the way. But I. I no problem if they both Cincinnati too, but this Georgia team is really hitting on all cylinders and yet still got some guys that are not healthy at receiver. Yeah. And I'm curious to see how much better they get. Kentucky still great season gone. This season isn't going to be defined by this game. They got a chance to go 11 and one, you know, I mean, they'd be disappointed with 10 and two and that, that would be a great year, but 11 and one, Go to the Sugar Bowl. Let me answer the question because I've been asked before. Is there any scenario they could make the playoffs? Can they? No. Nope. Sorry. No. But imagine going to something like the Sugar Bowl at 11-1. and one. Man, that's, that is the equivalent of Georgia winning a national championship. Or I mean, that, that's huge. That's huge yeah. for Kentucky if they're able to do that. All of a sudden, they would become a football school there. So we'll see if John Calipari and the Cats on the basketball floor are able to bounce back this year. But Mark Stoops has got a pretty good football team right now playing pretty darn good football. Um, as we move on to this next game, my brother, Chris, before I start on Alabama and Mississippi State, he had a law professor who used to recommend a Harvard law professor named Arthur Miller 
who kind of like you were talking about with these smoke screens and, you know, of ways to kind of get yourself trapped. He said uh-huh. that uh, if you, in your mind, when he would ask the question on the tape that he was listening to, that then if you came up with what he thought that you would come up with as the answer, his answer would always go, ooh, you are outside the doorway now. You've got the wind whistling in your ears. Basically, you're way off. In this case right now, we are way off again, where, of course, it was completely, completely typical and completely predictable that these were going to come of Nick Saban in Alabama. Are they still elite? Are we starting to see the beginning of the end? Is this team truly all that great? Well, Nick Saban answered to us, yes, they are still really good because when you go on the road against an SEC opponent and hang 49 points and hold a pretty good one-sided, mind you, Mississippi State offense to nine points, you're doing pretty good. Bryce Young, 20-28 passing, 348 yards, four touchdowns. John Mechie, seven catches, 117 yards, one touchdown. Four different receivers catching the football. So, Bill O'Brien getting that football around on Saturday. How about even splitting some carries? Brian Robinson Jr. is pretty much their starting running back and the guy that gets most of the carries. He gets into the end zone twice, a couple of touchdowns. But Roy Dell Williams, no more Jace McClellan for the rest of the season. And Roy Dell Williams stepping in and looking pretty good. How about the defense, too? You intercept Will uh, Will Rogers three times, and you sack him three times. I would say that is probably you want to make a statement after a disappointment the week before. That's the way you make a statement from a disappointment the week before. Four-man pressures were good. Um, you didn't have to worry about the run game. Uh, it was going to be a different way to approach it. Um you know, compress the throwing lanes. They did a good job with that. The linebackers did a good job with their drops. You keep that offense to nine points. That's getting it done. Um, did a really good job there. Um, offensively, in addition to what you mentioned, what I looked at is the commitment to the run game. And um, I, it, it just is one of those things because I know how he's wired and I know how he works. Here's what I simply saw and I felt happening is, okay, we didn't want to run against AM in the red zone because we felt our, didn't have the confidence in the offensive line. Oh, we're going to run. So what we'll do is we'll run a jumbo package and put an extra tight end offensive slash offensive lineman in the block. We'll run the football in the bleeping <laughs> deep red zone, and they did that. <clears throat> so what you see is, you know, it converted 12 or 13 in, in third downs. Bryce Young did spread the ball around very well, but that they were able to stay committed to the run, particularly in the red zone. Then probably thinking maybe should have done that a little bit more down towards the end against AM and they might have been able to escape. But there's no doubt you see what we expected to see. A adjustments, an improvement, and now we'll see going forward. It's still why look, you you have to recognize a loss, but the film tells me about unforced errors versus forced errors and limitations of a team versus um, they just didn't play well and, and they're, they've got growth room. This Alabama team, I still think, is the second-best team in the country. I, I, that may or may not be proven true. Are they consistent enough, though, to not have a Florida or A&M game-type performance? Because if they do, it doesn't matter what their high mark level mm-hmm. is. If you lose two games, you've just taken yourself out. So now it's about consistency. 
Yeah, and, we'll, and there's no margin of error for the rest of the year. I mean, that's funny how people were saying the same thing about Georgia had they lost that game to Clemson. And that's the other thing, too, is just kind of a side tangent on the point that you just made right there that really is just cracking me up right now with, well, Georgia hasn't really played anybody. Well, they played against, at the time, a top 10 Clemson team, beat them on a neutral field. They played against, at the time, a top 10 Arkansas team. And people can say, well, they're not as good as we thought. That's not their problem at the time. And they played against the number 11 team in the country and beat them pretty soundly. And they're going to have other games this season that probably won't be the same challenges as those that I just mentioned. But let's be honest here. If they make it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game, which at this point, it would be a massive collapse for them to not to. But if they do and they're undefeated there, they've got every opportunity to make the college football playoff on who they played or who you think they have not played. Tangent over. All right, let's go to uh, Ole Miss and Tennessee. Ole Miss, uh, we didn't really talk about the game when we mentioned the embarrassment that was at Neyland Stadium, but Ole Miss able to hold on 31-26. Chris says Lane Kiffin talked about relief after the game. Matt Corral banged up a little bit in this game. I saw him take a couple of really huge hits, and Lane Kiffin on Monday saying there's some serious doubt with him if he can play against LSU. Yeah, the, what's that? I don't know if you're old enough to remember the commercial. It was a Roll H commercial. How do you spell relief? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. How do yeah. you spell relief if you're Lane Kiffin? Is C-O-R-R-A-L. What a stud of a game. Guy ran over 200 yards every time Tennessee could not get off the field. Every key third down, he had success on first and second down. But every key third down, they couldn't get it done. And I was tweeting out as I as I do often at Landry Football um, during the game it, it is you know they they drop guys in the coverage and in this and <laughs> in, in in the zone read um, in the RPO game rather he, you know he's running it if and if you if you you drop back in coverage he runs it and if you peel off you could see the fact that the safeties and the linebackers were paralyzed trying to focus on him uh, running the football and that's when he'd have a big time throw it was just uh, what he did he virtually carried that team there's no doubt carried it to a point and at the end give a little kudos to that defense they came up big down the stretch to get off the field a couple of times because in a game that we talked about was going to be who can get off at the pivotal time and, you know, get a couple of stops. It was Ole Miss that did it when they had to. Uh, Tennessee had chances with a couple of stops here or there to to come back, score, and maybe even win it. And even at the end, of course, with the long delay. But Ole Miss's defense stepped up and made a couple of plays. And, um, you know, credit. It was a, it was a really, really entertaining game uh, on the field anyway. Yeah, although, although, let, let, yeah, I was going to say, although, 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 I will say this. Oh my goodness! And what a what a calamity of! Uh, I kept saying I, I could hear the scuba calls coming out. Scuba's code for take a dive, take a dive. Oh my mm-hmm. God! How many of the both teams had that? Tennessee did it. Ole Miss really did it. And when you're getting 102 snaps, Dan, you could see those cramps, but a lot of that has oh, yeah. slowed this down. We got to slow this yeah. down. Yeah. Put, put the anchor down and uh, let's, uh, let's be able to make sure that everybody gets 
a quick breather before uh, they get back to uh, the pacing offense that's coming at them. It's not fun to try to defend. There's no doubt about that. Auburn on the road taking down Arkansas 38-23. to I don't think anybody saw this coming, Chris, but Bo Nix is the part that I don't think anybody saw coming. 21 of 26, two touchdowns and interception. Man, that is an incredible day for him. Ten different receivers with catches as well. That's a Mike Bobo special. I thought I thought Bo Nix played well. I thought the offensive line was really good. Strong performance in pass protection. Not as uh, clean in the run game. They got blown up a little bit in the run game due to you know, how uh, Arkansas played the run and leveraged the run. That was a little bit of an issue. But, man, was the pass protection clean. And you saw what Bo Nix was able to do. He, he carved them up. Um Really impressed. I thought the defense played very well for Auburn. It was a very good performance. And is it a sign of what's coming? Don't know. We'll see. Every week's a new week. Arkansas didn't look the same. Auburn deserves the credit. Arkansas just you get, you get hammered by Georgia and you lose a close game. It was like the, the life's been sucked out of them a little bit. You know, kind of like mm-hmm. – all right, well, our goals are different. We're we're good, but, man, we let one get away. And I just almost sense a – and Auburn was ready to play, and they just went and took it away from them. So great job by the Auburn Tigers, Brian Harson and his staff. I thought the receivers did a good job. Very, very impressed. The tight ends, Landon King did have a drop, but – for the most part, did a really good job. Arkansas was um, three straight losses. We did talk about it. I didn't think it was going to be the th- – I thought they were going to have three straight losses. I didn't think this would be the third. I thought it would be another. But, you know, um, I'm very interested to see. They played more four-man front defensively. Let's see what adjustments they can get done. They've got to make some um, – you know, uh, but we're not we're not getting the consistency now out of the offense and making plays in the pass game. And I thought Auburn uh, Auburn really did a good job. Well, it's consistent with what we've thought all year, Chris. And when you did the season preview, you you thought this is probably a six and six, seven and five football team. Maybe if they get really good, eight and four. But I think that we're probably trending towards the six and six, seven and five with this team. I don't know who they have left on their schedule, but it probably has a couple of more losses in there for this team. And that's not a failing on Sam Pittman's part. It's not a failing on this coaching staff. I think this coaching staff is very good. They're very limited in the functional depth that they have as a team. They have very good starting players. I just wonder if the guys behind them are necessarily good enough to be able to compete with others in the SEC West the way that they need to compete with them. And I think that probably the games that they've lost are the games that they were supposed to lose. I think that Texas was a bright spot. You probably weren't as talented as Texas, but you still went out there on your home field and beat them that day. And good on you on that. The same deal with Texas A&M. Texas A&M is probably a much more talented team than you are. They were a little banged up and still had some, probably some insecurities offensively that showed up in a huge way that game. And you were able to outscheme them and you were able to outplay them and beat them. So I get all that, and this isn't, again, a failing on Sam Pittman. I think it's just it's the team that they have, and they're not quite there yet. Um, got, got Arkansas Pine Bluff. Got Arkansas Pine Bluff a bye. 
Then a little tricky Mississippi State matchup, a stylistic differential yeah. there. Yep. And then a nothing-to-lose LSU team on the road, and then, you know, I expect a loss to Alabama. And then they end up at Missouri. So, look, I think they could end up with just one loss the rest of the way. Two um, is possible. Uh, three is unlikely, but not out of the question. So, yeah, I think yeah. I still think it's been a really good year for them, uh, but yeah. probably where people thought they were. Um, again, people get overly excited and make some conclusions, and all of a sudden you lose three, four in a row. And it's like, right. well, that's, that's <laughs> the, the air no. goes out of the balloon. No, this is. I truly believe this is the beginning of something really building well there in Fayetteville. And I think that Sam Pittman is the guy for the job. So we'll move on from that. All right. LSU beats Florida 42 or 49, 42, 42 is what Florida had, but Tigers running the ball. Chris, how about this? If you're Durante Jones and you are the defensive side of the football a couple of weeks ago against Auburn, and you find out a couple of weeks later, that LSU is going to run the ball 45 times and just throw the ball 24 times with that lead in the second half. They're probably saying, Hey, we're only sitting on two losses right now, but they ran it for 321 yards as a team. Ty Davis prize, 287 yards, three touchdowns LSU with four interceptions on defense, Damone Clark all over the field, leading the team in tackles. Anthony Richardson did give them some problems. So you're saying to yourself, well, if they ran the ball so many times, they ran the ball for so much. How did they make this game so close? I would say pretty easy, Chris. If you go back and watch the game, it's some bonehead plays. And I don't think an even better example of what I just said right there is the attempt, if you want to call it that, to defend that Hail Mary before the first half ended. Yeah, a couple of things from LSU standpoint. Um, still have the breakdowns like the defense there, uh, but they made some plays on defense. Five LSU starters were out for the defense, including the probably the top four players, uh, great players on that team. A lot of young guys played with a lot of energy. Um, I, I think they played loose because of who's playing, and, and probably what we talked about at the top of the show. I think um, – you know, the mistakes with Florida. And, and so I thought they, they deserve a lot of credit. They ran the football. Look, they were committed to running. They ran the trap. They were, they, they stayed committed, but they had success. Now, because we talked a lot about LSU, I want to talk a little bit about alarming problems at Florida. The turnovers were ridiculous and, and it be, continues to be a problem. So they're underachieving there. My guy, the defense was the failure to recognize and to make adjustments against the trap. They basically didn't do a whole lot of LSU to fix their run game. It was Florida not being able to adjust it. So they were on the other end of, I, I just thought a really awful job by the Florida defense. And I think this loss coming off the, Kentucky loss and what I think is going to happen against Georgia. There's going to have to be some come to Jesus meetings. Dan Mullen, um, there's one of two things are going to happen. Uh, first of all, Dan's not going to get fired. Um, no. Dan will, if the right situation comes out, he's going to flirt somewhere else, or at least he's going to put it out there because he's, his ego wants to have his name associated, particularly with, you know, the, all the criticism you see, the Jets really like me, you know, that, that sort yeah. of thing, you know, yeah. uh, 
he's going to have to make changes. I think that Scott Strickland's probably going to hit him with, look, we, you've, you've got to make change. I think Todd Granham can't survive this. Um, and, and, you know, for Dan, and he's the head coach, and he's got to make that decision, and he's mm-hmm. got to do it, and he's got to find the right guy that can fit that. And two, I think I think Dan is 100%. He's responsible for everything. He's the head coach. But being the curator of that offense, man, is he is he gonna is he being stubborn with that quarterback situation? And I think at this point, he's got to figure out what he has in AR and build with that and work around that. And there will be mistakes, but better figure that out because I'm gonna tell you, he won't get fired this year. And if he decides to make changes. And he comes back, which I think that's where the odds are going to be. He better not come back with the same type of roller coaster because they're getting really frustrated in Gainesville. And we're having a similar type discussion without the off the field issues. At least there's none of note. We're going to have some of the same issues we're having right now. What's going on with LSU and getting out coached. This Florida situation is getting, it's getting tough for the folks to take to lose to LSU twice now it because they lost last year in a game that they clearly should have won and it's happening again and it happened you know Kentucky's good Kentucky played well that's but now you're losing to an LSU team that seemingly has lost the rope and they find themselves against you when the optics of this is looking really really bad and in their mm-hmm. eyes from a florida standpoint we explained what's going on at lsu it had nothing to do with florida and what they're making a move right. on but in their eyes they're saying those jokers down the bayou just beat us and they're getting rid of their coach and we got and i you get this this is the stat that it's what is it the last 10 games at Ogeron. this is the florida stat this is the Florida stat that people are coming out with. The last 10 games, Ed Ardron is six and four. The last 10 games, Dan Mullen is four and six. Unreal. They're, they're, I, I heard that this weekend that and couldn't stuff. believe I it. Yeah, I, I heard that this weekend and couldn't believe it. Yeah. But the last three last year and three losses this year. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, Anthony Richards is making mistakes, and I know they're trying to work around that, but he's got some big playability. They don't have enough out of the passing game. For all the credit I've given Dan, he's been able to milk whatever you got out of the quarterback position. He hasn't done a good job with the quarterbacks this year. You see the talent that they have, but they're making too many mistakes, and you've got a defense that, once again, is poorly positioned way too often and giving up too many big plays, and that's just not going to work in Gainesville it's just not and I think there uh and then I, I it just doesn't help when he has that stubborn approach of you know yeah. you know like it's um I'm the smartest guy in the room and you just yeah. guys you guys just don't get it that's just not going over well man it's just not well it's also too I mean you know like I said the question at the Kentucky game the 382 yards, that's sputtering to you. I mean, it's like, well, yeah, it, it is sputtering. You didn't win the game and you scored 10 points. That's not good enough, coach. So I would say that any coach who knows the ownership that they have to take would say, yeah, you know, we moved the ball well, but we didn't score. So to your point, I, I guess we didn't look too good tonight because I think defensively, Chris, that's the other part of it as well. If you're a defensive player and you hear something like that, I think that you immediately say, he doesn't care about me. He only cares about his side of the ball. 
So if that's the case, why am I playing here? Why do I want to play hard for that guy? I'll go play hard for somebody else that cares about our side of the ball just as much as she cares about his side of the ball. So that's divisive, I, I think, in that regard. I think the other part of it as well is you mentioned that some difficult decisions are going to have to be made, some changes. I think there's no doubt about that. I almost wonder if this is a Scott Strickland or somebody gets in his ear and says, recruit better or at least make an effort to recruit better or you will not be here. Because that's, I think, the part of it that's also hurting him is, in a way, he's hanging on his laurels. Well, I found Dak Prescott. Okay, you found one guy. You made him good. Fletcher Cox, all these different types of players at, at Mississippi State. Kyle Pitts and, and, and Kyle Trask, who was already there, mind you. He was already part of the program with uh, Jim McElwain and the crew. But regardless, I get it that he has been a pretty good developer of talent at certain spots. That's fine. And, 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 the, and the worst thing hadn't happened yet. When they get when they get hammered by Georgia, you know what that's oh, yeah. how that's going to play. That's going to be well, that's going to be worse than what has happened thus far. We're seeing it at Michigan and Ohio State, Chris, where Michigan fans finally said they had had enough of Jim Harbaugh. They haven't moved off of him yet, but they're saying they're not only beating our ass, they're also beating our ass on the recruiting trail, and that's showing up on Saturdays where they're not only beating us. They're also going to better bowl games and having better opportunities than we are. That's going to be Florida fans very soon, to your point, if that happens. If they go there in a couple of weeks and just get absolutely massacred by Georgia, which I think could happen based off what we just saw and their lack of adjustments and their effort to try to defend the run against LSU, this just in. Georgia is pretty physical up front, could move you and can set the tone up on that part of the football that day. And if that happens, that is going to be a very bad thing for Dan Mullen, where, again, to your point, he's not going anywhere, but you're going to have people who are going to start looking at him and saying, uh, yeah, this is not what we brought you here to do. And soon enough, hey, I got you to a New Year's Six Bowl game. That's not good enough, Coach. I got you to the SEC Championship game. Win the SEC Championship game. That's what they want there in Gainesville, and that's why they brought Dan Mullen there. So let's make no mistakes about it. Uh, a couple of games just really quick before we get into just a uh, few uh, national games and then a couple of really good questions in the comments section here on the Twitch channel, which you can add as well, twitch.tv backslash Chris Landry football. And Texas A&M over Missouri, 35-14 in Como. Chris, just a couple of quick notes on that. Well, I thought AM really did a good job. It could be a letdown game. It wasn't. They played well. I thought they moved the football well. It wasn't a completely clean game, but they dominated against a Missouri defense. It's still not very good. I thought it was a really good performance. AM is starting to play uh, some really good football now and um, kind of build off it. They've got a um, they've got South Carolina this week and then a bye week, and then they get to a stretch of Auburn. Ole Miss um, and LSU after Prairie View. So they've got a chance to finish strong. Uh, they've got a chance here to go 10-2, and two, which not many people were guessing after the Mississippi State game. And then kudos to Shane Beamer in the South Carolina Gamecocks. They are 4-3 and three now. So, Chris, probably not too many more wins left on their <laughs> schedule. But if they're able to sneak out a couple of wins after getting past Vanderbilt, and they did get past Vanderbilt, holding on to win – 21 to 20, but still four and three. I mean, I, I, I hope that there's a Citadel or somebody like that still left on their schedule and who knows 
Maybe they can trip up somebody else along the way and get to six and six in a bowl game in the first season. There's not. Let me interrupt you. There's not. (laughs) There's not. I think. I think. I think. I think you got to find me. You got to find me two more wins. A and M by week. Florida. I I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I know we just. I would think so. At Missouri, possibly. Maybe. I think. Yeah. I think. I think Missouri outscores them. Um, Auburn, no. Clemson, no. I think we've seen South Carolina win their last game. I think they're going to go four and three, and I think they're going to go um, uh, it, it, four and eight. eight. Yeah, there maybe, maybe uh, five and seven, maybe, which is not bad, but that's probably not going to be what they want. But that's, to be honest with you, as good as I would have given them, better than I would have given them. National games of note this weekend. Iowa falling to Purdue 24 to seven at home. Chris, all intents and purposes, I would say that the big 10 probably can only count on Ohio state. Now I say only Ohio state because Penn state goes there. If they get a win there, then that's an impressive win. And I think that people will probably say, okay, well, let's consider Penn state again, but Ohio state where they are in the rankings and the chances that they have to win out, go to the big 10 championship game and win that game. I would probably say that Ryan Day is the Big Ten's best chance now. No doubt about it. Uh, Iowa's uh, under Kurt in recent years with with Jeff at Purdue. They've really struggled with them. Purdue really works the ball outside the numbers in the passing game, and Iowa just doesn't have the explosiveness on offense to win games like this. So um, it's it's not surprising uh, in that regard. People thought that maybe this team was a little bit better, and um, I thought the, the line of the day came from the Purdue athletic department when they just said, we just beat the number two out of Iowa. There you go. Yeah. It's any way to, any way to sell it. And, uh, they definitely did. And they truly did. I mean, hopefully not the messy part, you know, <laughs> the, the actual number two ranking off of that. We'll leave it there. Uh, Oklahoma, I think has found their QB and it's not going out on too much of a limb because Caleb Williams looked outstanding on Saturday night. And that Oklahoma offense has never looked the way that it has without him on the field this year. Spencer Rattler, I think has taken him as far as they can go. I suspect Spencer Rattler will probably be somewhere else next year. I don't think he's ready for the NFL just yet, so I think he needs to go to another system and then try to make his way after that. But uh, they beat TCU 52-31. to Williams, 18 of 23, 295 yards, four touchdowns. Lincoln Riley had to like what he see. Well, implementing him in the run game is such a big part of what why they're having such success. And I think when you, you look at what they're doing with him in the run game, it's creating more spacing in the pass game. And so they're bringing more big playability. So there's no question that uh, the, the true freshman has been a, a huge, huge factor. Final one for a couple of questions. Oklahoma State could be problems for OU down the road at Bedlam, Chris, uh, uh, Oklahoma State on the road taking down Texas 32-24. Don't look now, but Mike Gundy's pokes are 6-0. and They're firing the pistols there. Yeah, and they're doing it differently than what they've done before. Jim Knowles continues to do a great job with their defense. They're a different-looking Oklahoma State team than maybe what you've seen in previous years. But for the past two, two-and-a-half years, they've been a pretty good defensive team. Um, I, I, I Nice job there. Texas blew another lead late. That's tough for them. 
I Oklahoma State's not fared well. They Mike has not fared well in, in Bedlam. So I don't know that this is the year, but they are 6-0. and I got to tell you, the story, though, is just, okay, Oklahoma's a story. Oklahoma State's unbeaten. Baylor under Dave Aranda is doing a really good job. So it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. And quietly, quietly, off the rough start, Iowa State's starting to play better. So the the Big 12's still very interesting because you've got some good teams. I think Oklahoma's the only team that's playoff caliber nationally, potentially. It's the just like I agree with you, Ohio State is. I think Oklahoma's the only one. So keep that in mind if one or both get knocked down. I mean, Cincinnati's just got a got a clear path to get in, possibly, if they just win, even though they may or may not be one of the four best. They got a good chance to get in because of the circumstances around college. And I, I'm not sure that there is a Pac-12 team. So you you have three of the and, – and we know that Clemson's knocked out and no one in the ACC. Mm-hmm. So it's like, find the teams. Uh, it, yeah. still look, it still looks in pretty good shape for Georgia and Alabama to get in. And it really is about the Big 12 and the Big 10. Can Ohio State and Oklahoma make a case? Can one or both get in? If both get knocked out, at some point – you got Cincinnati gets in, and then yeah. you got you got to throw in all the teams that we eliminated, and say, "Whoa, we got to find one out of that group because everybody yeah. is eliminated themselves, and it can't just be Alabama, Georgia, and Cincinnati gets in. One of those teams has to be resurrected." But as usually that, as usual that that's figured out through the course of the season. All right, finally the mailbag, as we've got a couple of good ones to end on uh, Woodshed King. Always bringing some good questions. A question for you, not specific to a candidate, Chris, but three or four strengths or qualities you would look for in a head coach at LSU. Uh, Sounds simple. A really good leader, a really good organizer, somebody that knows how to hire well, somebody knows how to lead, communicate, um, is demanding, but but is really somebody that's on top of things, leading a big time program, which this this has to handle. It also has to handle and understand the culture and the expectation uh, that goes along with that. Uh, it is less important about offensive or defensive guys, but being able to put together that staff's really, really important. Scott's always hired offensive coaches, but that's kind of a trend around football anyway, but I wouldn't limit it to that. And that's not the the key criteria. It's more the leadership, being able to coach the coaches and direct from that end. Jeffrey Parrott, Chris, do you think the reason the fans did what they did at the Ole Miss-Tennessee game were because there are no repercussions from the SEC for terrible officiating? Oh, I think it's 100% because of the officiating. And, you know, if it's, well, there's no repercussions, I mean, I don't know if they thought through it that clearly, but maybe just the overall, well, this keeps happening and we can't do anything bad about it. Most people feel uh, that their team gets the short end of the stick with officiating. The officiating you know, was a problem. They didn't like the rule, the officiating. They didn't like the way it took place. Um, that's no excuse to throw water bottles and, you know, they're, they're just, you can't, that's like, you know, may not like somebody cutting you off on the road. It doesn't mean you get out and exercise road rage. Um, you, you can't, that's not an excuse for the behavior. It is an, ex, it is a very reasonable to say, not happy with the officiating. We're going to boo. We're going to whatever, but 
you know, the irrational behavior, no, to take it that far, it's not good when anybody does that. That's, that's not an excuse for that type of behavior. Definitely not. Well, Chris, what was definitely the case for this show was that I think we covered a lot and did a great job covering it. Kudos to you for that. Kudos to everybody who joined in today as well on SEC Football and Beyond. We do this live every Monday and Thursday. And then on the podcast version, it ends up on your device every Tuesday and Friday. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast needs, that's where you can find us right here on SEC Football and Beyond. Chris, enjoyed it. Talk to you later on this week as this has been another great edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Thank you all for listening. Talking to Talk to you later in the week. Easy for me to say. 